You've found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little show, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Once again, I want to start this podcast out by talking to you about our Patreon page. Now, I've said this before, but my goal is to keep this podcast totally ad-free if that is at all possible. Uh, but obviously, there are you know many uh, expenses, including time mostly, that go into podcasting, especially something like this. So um, sometimes that isn't possible, but it can be made possible with your support. And the best way you can do that is by becoming a patron. So if you think this show is worth five bucks a month to you, then please go to patreon.com slash Island and sign up to become a patron. It'll bill you once a month for five bucks. That's all. Uh, In return, you'll get exclusive access to a live chat that we do during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. I love that chat. And uh, once again... This chat is off to a flying start. It is so much fun. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Island uh, to sign up and support the podcast. And remember, I mean, you can cancel anytime. So anything you want to offer is absolutely 100% appreciated. Let me give a big thank you to our new patron, Jeff, who joined last week. Uh, Jeff, thank you for uh, for joining us and welcome to the Digging Oak Island family. I really appreciate your support and your help. All right, we do have some emails and some messages to get into this week, so let's start the show off by hearing from Austin, who says, Hey Dave, it's Austin from Iowa again. I just finished watching the season premiere, and I noticed a couple of things during the episode I'd love to hear your thoughts on. The first thing that caught my attention was 22 minutes in where the young borehole drill worker takes it upon himself to cut into the sample to see a chunk of wood instead of allowing Charles Barkhouse or Terry Matheson to do so. Even though it led to an important discovery, it still felt pretty disrespectful. The second thing is how funny it would be if the whole reason they can't find the money pit is because they built that rock garden over the top of it. Uh, Keep up the great work, Dave Austin. Austin, thank you so much uh, for writing in. Some great stuff there. About that first part, you know what, man? I think maybe you're making a bit much of it. I think I just say it like that. That's just a thought. Charles was by himself at the time, as you can see. Terry wasn't there. They never tell you why or what's going on. So these guys at Choice Drilling uh, were probably just trying to help out a bit more than they usually would because he was by himself. And you saw what they did there. All the drilling guys had just laid out these three separate samples all at once. And one of them actually had an obvious piece of wood in it, which the guy could feel as he was walking it over. So probably partly to be a little helpful, like he had been being all day, and probably because the dude just got really excited. He just jumped right in, took the knife out of his pocket, and cut that one little section just to see that plank that he felt. He didn't he didn't cut any more of it. I mean, I see what you're saying. Uh, I'm just thinking he didn't mean any disrespect by it. That's all. I mean, I just, I didn't even really think about it like that, other than I did note watching it that I was the first time I'd ever seen one of the drilling guys do that. You know, I'd never seen that before, at least never made note of it before. Also, these prob- these guys that are here are probably doing more stuff like this than we ever get to see. It's just that it gets edited out of the show in favor of the scenes where the fellowship guys, the cast, right, do this work just for dramatic purposes. I think you know what I'm getting at there. And Austin, I don't know if funny is the word I would use if that's the case. 
unfortunate, unlucky is probably a better word for that. It would be uh, if the guys had discovered they built this memorial right over the top of the treasure. Uh, Plain sucks would be another one that I think would work out well. Um, But listen, I'll tell you this. If this is indeed the case, uh, Rick will build that new monument somewhere else for sure. I mean, him and Billy will get behind their uh, their power tools and their uh, heavy gear and build this rock wall somewhere else. I know it won't be just destroyed and left. Great stuff, Austin. Keep up the emails. Love to hear from you. All right, let's go to Lori on the Patreon, who asked last week during the live discussion about the use of LIDAR on Oak Island. This week, she writes, hey, Dave, just circling back to the mention on the Patreon live comment I made about Oak Island LIDAR images. I don't remember them talking about LIDAR, but after the new discoveries being made in Mexico, I did some online browsing. Now, I'm just going to stop here. What she means by that, I believe, Lori, I think I got you right from the follow-up question I had for you. They have There has been recently, um, I mean, in the last few years, there's been some pretty significant discoveries of some ancient uh, indigenous um structures in basically the jungles in Mexico using LIDAR, the fascinating work. Anyway, she continues, the LIDAR images of Oak Island I found online is really surprising. It doesn't look like much in the way of building works, but look at the deep ditch or ravine that runs diagonally right to the swamp. I included a LIDAR image of the Fort Edward uh, for comparison regarding the structures. It was built in 1750 and is located about an hour north of Oak Island. Anyway, I thought it was really interesting that it doesn't seem to show much and wonder why they haven't looked at LIDAR in the search. Maybe they did, and I just forget. Lori. Uh, Lori, uh, let me say this. I am by no means an expert on LIDAR. Uh, I mean, I kind of have a general idea of what it is, and I think it's really just a surface discovery tool, right? Um, It doesn't help you to get to stuff underground. So you could see why it would have limited application to uh, Oak Island, especially when you consider how much of Oak Island uh, has been covered by foot for years and years and years. Uh, but I, I, it, it, there are things like the mounds and stuff like that that we probably could find LIDAR to be helpful with. I believe they've used it. Um, does anybody remember that? I mean, I'm not sure where you got your image from here, but does anybody remember that being used and how much discussion was put into LIDAR? Uh, I know, I, I believe it's been discussed. Maybe you guys listening can um, can tell us for sure. All right, and the last email we are going to discuss today is um, it's actually a few messages via Patreon from uh, our patron named Mark. I'll put the first two together where Mark says, um, well, actually, I think they were all one and then got split up in my email, but uh, you'll see where I'm going here. Notice the carbon dating on that piece of wood from the tunnel dated from the end of June 2022, so not really that early in the season. Maybe it's just me, but the way Guptil had the sonar data plotted, it looked to me like it was pointing to the west of the garden shaft. Perhaps there's more data we haven't seen yet. Do you recall if a tunnel in that area showed up on the seismic from a couple of years back? I don't remember. Would be, it would be interesting to see if Muon stuff will show it. Bet it's going to show more cavities than one would find in a hobo's teeth of hobo's mouth. And likewise, with little to no fillings as well. Uh, Also notice how the current drilling is pretty far removed from the previous areas of interest in the money pit. Seems like they started out a fair bit to the southeast of the head and shaft and the disturbed Dunfield crater area. I wonder what information led them to, to focus on this area. I mean, they did find that tunnel of magic and pleasure. 
I'm not sure what the pleasure part is, but uh, we'll see. Uh, anyway, Mark, that is the mystery um, that I've been thinking on since the debut episode last week. And, and you know, what really brought them this far afield of where they had been looking last year all the way to the Garden Shaft area that was never really on the proverbial radar ever before, right? I mean, as far as I can read it, and this is just from following along here, and this seems to be seems to make sense. As far as I can read it, they were doing this exploratory drilling project um, to find the path of the water flow underground, and in the process came across this tunnel, which they then follow toward the garden shaft, which in your read here was heading west, um, to uh, west of the garden shaft, not exactly to it. Uh, my feeling is. That is what happened. But the show always does stuff like this, right? They always set things up a long time before we actually get to see why, right? Um, They set it up so much that we really often don't follow the logic of it, meaning that they mention the garden shaft so much before the scene where Guptal actually shows us the direction of the tunnel leading to the garden shaft. It just seems so unlikely that there wasn't something already going on before all this because they've been talking about it so much. Um, But again, this show is guilty of that a lot. I mean, how many times have they mentioned something like, I mean, just an example, they'll spend a half an hour talking about the British military only to then, lo and behold, Gary Drayton pulls out this artifact from a, you know, from a hole that he says is from the British military. I mean, they, they do that kind of thing a lot. They did it with the Portuguese quite a bit, too, last year. I'm thinking that might be a little bit of what happened here, Mark, but I'm not by no means sure of that. Let me keep that in mind. And you spotting that June date, man, that's just another example of how the editors of the show really do jump around on the timeline quite a bit. Basically, just for narrative purposes, you know, and they do this regularly. I mean, people get annoyed by it or people point it out. Um, and I like when you point it out because it does make me kind of recognize what they're doing here, which is basically, you know, it takes time to get test results, but we don't want to have you forget about this item three weeks from now and then have to explain it all again. Um, it's just kind of something I've honestly sort of accepted at this point, you know. Anyway. Mark also sent another message, which is going to dovetail really nicely into the discussion about this week's episode. Mark sent me an article from the North Hertfordshire Museum written by an archaeologist named Keith Fitzpatrick Matthews called Royston Cave and the Templars question mark question mark. And it's about the very cave in England that was mentioned last week and is talked about quite a bit this week. Now, I'm going to post this article for you guys on the Facebook page and on the Patreon for everybody to peruse here and take a look at it. With it, Mark simply writes to us, interesting article. Uh, Apparently, Templar origins of Royston Cave are mostly local folklore with very little evidence to back it up. Uh, Mark, I have read through the article. It is absolutely a very interesting article. And um, the way it's presented is sort of exactly the way we should always be thinking of things like this. If we really want to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery, as I am wont to say, right? Now, without getting too much into the meat of this article, um, because I'll let you guys read it and tell me what you think. I think this paragraph here at least explains what I mean by how it's presented. The article says, quote, yes, the cave is a mystery, but many mysteries are capable of solution. And as this is a site with numerous carvings on its walls, it is one that might be solved by applying techniques of stylistic analysis. The evidence for the assertion that it was created and used by the Knights Templar is inconclusive. 
Alternative explanations are possible for its origins and the origins of the carvings, which need not necessarily be connected. Explaining a site that appears to be unique requires judicious use of Occam's razor and an awareness of how easy it can be to jump to unwarranted conclusions. Now, for those of you who don't understand what he means by Occam's razor, uh, I'm not saying I'm a expert on here, but I think this is best defined by saying it's the principle that when you're trying to understand something mysterious to you, eliminating all of the incorrect possibilities is the best and most efficient way to find the truth behind the mystery. I'm reminded of the Sherlock Holmes quote, eliminate all other factors and the one which remains must be the truth, Uh, as opposed to going the other way, which is that looks like Templar, let me prove it, even though you're not sure and you don't really have the proof. Am I making sense? I hope I do. Uh, this is the this is what we are always saying here about Oak Island, right? In order to get to the theory that best explains the mystery, we have to start by eliminating those theories that we can disprove with just a little research. We always wonder why we don't do this some more in the search. We get all of these different dates. We have all these different theories. And what we need to do in order to get to the bottom of it is eliminate those other theories. And that's kind of the approach that this archaeologist is taking. And just so you have a little idea of the context of what he's writing, uh, if you don't want to read the whole thing, let me just say this. Uh, I'll give you this little quote from his uh, from the article itself. He writes, quote, since the 1970s, local opinion has occurred that it was a shrine used by the Knights Templar. Virtually all the readily available information about the cave stresses this supposed Templar connection. But on examination the evidence turns out to be very weak. In particular, various internet resources tend to copy each other and repeat the same story. So you see what he's trying to say here, and maybe that will uh, uh, inspire you to go and read a little bit more, and then to keep that in mind as we get into the next episode, which we're going to discuss in just a couple of minutes. Um, Anyway, thank you so much, Mark, for this. Uh, I hope you all enjoy the article that he sent. Um, Again, we're going to talk a lot more about this after the break. And that's all for the emails this week. Remember, if you have any comments or questions, just email me, digginoakisland at gmail.com. Okay, just as last week, I'm trying to get this one out real quick this week, so I'm not scripting. I'm just working off some notes and some of the things that I wrote down here during the airing of the show. It's going to be a quicker kind of podcast because, again, I want to get this out before the holiday uh, because I won't be able to record over the week with with everything going on around here. Um, Okay, so just real quickly, it's season 10, episode 2 of The Curse of Oak Island. It's called Across the Pond. Uh, and it begins with the money pit there and there's not much work at the money pit. So we'll just sort of rifle through that. Uh, they're working on a new hole called DN 12.5. Um, and there's a interesting quote here because what they're looking at is the, is what they are pretty sure is a tunnel. Uh, and Terry says that he knows it's a tunnel because there is what he calls in situ material, which is sort of natural material above and below it. Meaning that this is not only a tunnel, it's a tunnel that has not been looked at before, certainly not tunnel, not driven down into, dug down into, and it's also a tunnel that isn't part of a collapse. It's not, you know, we don't we if this was part of the collapse of the money pit, what we're seeing here, we would have kind of more random stuff, which is what we get in most of the other holes you see dug. Um, 
They find a first piece of wood down at 98 feet down, uh, and they talk a lot about these garden shaft test results. Uh, and I would love to see, there's two things I would love to see from here before we move on from the money pit. I would love to see those garden shaft test results. <laughs> that would be really cool if we could get, get a chance to see that. And I would also love to see um, whether or not this wood that they're finding in all of these pieces actually matches up. Is it the same kind of wood? Is it cut the same way? Is it, does a carbon date to roughly the same period? I want to see all of this because we're pulling out a lot of pieces of wood. Do these all make sense? Do they all line up? That would be great information. And I'm a little worried why we haven't really talked much about it other than one or two pieces from last week. Okay. That's really all you see at the money pit this week. We go back to the money pit quite a bit. But that's really all you get to see. Now, the other place where they do a little work is over in lot seven. And this is where Gary and Jack Begley are metal detecting over there. And they're metal detecting through it. And they pull out this corroded, what looks like to Gary at least, it's hard to tell from what we're seeing, a corroded pin, like a jewelry pin, a, a you know, a lapel pin or something like that. He thinks there's a jewel on it. He calls it treasure. It looks just like jewelry to me. I don't think it really means this is treasure by any means, but it's almost impossible to tell. Now, it's completely corroded over, except for a little piece that looks like a pin. And they bring this to the interpretive center, where, as we learned last week, we have all these new scanners and ways to clean things up and all this kind of stuff. Um, so they bring it to Laird and to Rick Lagina and show it to him in the interpretive center. And yet, throughout the entirety of this show, for the rest of the show, we see no follow-up on this. So as opposed to last week where we saw the idea of stuff being found in this shaft, you know, we, we get to see a few weeks worth of work on this where they kind of compressed it all in. Instead, you know, where what I mean is they find the wood. They, as we discussed earlier in the email section, they find the wood, they carbon date the wood. And then they tell us what the carbon date results are. That actually takes four weeks but, or something like that. But the show makes it looks like, look like it took a day or two days. Um, why did they not do that here? Why did they not um, show us the results of the scanning that, as we saw in the past, only takes a few minutes to do? We didn't get to see any of that. Uh, so my hope is we get to see more of it next week. The thing is, we got to keep our minds out, our, our minds open to this, and we got to keep a lookout for this. If we don't, as I always tell you, we know why. All right, the bulk of this show uh, took place in England, and this is a really great group of scenes. I love all of this stuff. Uh, even this stuff that I'm going to sound like I'm tearing apart a little bit here, but I love all of it. Marty and Alex Lagina and Charles have flown to England and they're meeting with a woman named Gretchen Cornwall in Royston, England. Now, Gretchen Cornwall is a a theorist is I think the best way to put it. Um, she is not a uh, what's the word? I mean, she's a researcher. She's a historian, but she's also a theorist and she's written books about the Templar, you know, a supposed Templar journey to North America. And that is, so she, what I'm, basically what I'm getting at here is she's, she's looking for, she's here to look for connections, connections that she thinks already exist. So even though I find some of her work really cool and she seems wonderful, you know, and very learned on the subject, I guess what I'm saying is, 
I take a little bit with a grain of salt because she's looking for she's looking for something. She's looking for a connection to to Oak Island and to North America. She's already convinced there is one rather than a researcher who just sort of comes into this with no particular opinion and then discovers something really cool that does make such a connection. Miss Cornwall is looking for that already. I hope that does, I'm not trying to disparage her. I'm not trying to say something bad about her. I'm just trying to put into context a little bit of what we're seeing here, right? And it, she starts off by saying, welcome to a Templar initiation chamber. Now, here's the thing. Uh, they start off this whole scene by saying, no one really knows when this cave was built. No one really knows for sure. They do mention these things. But then she says something like, welcome to a Templar initiation chamber. So even though they're admitting to you that she's offering her opinion as fact, they don't actually tell you that. They only just sort of hint at it for you. I mean, she can't. She certainly can't know that it's a Templar initiation chamber if she can't say for sure when it was built, right? Later, she says, you know, some of, I think it was the narrative, says something like, some people think it's a Templar site, which is a much more accurate way of saying it. Now, this, again, this could not be her fault. This might be the editing's fault. It's hard to say. Anyway... There's a lot of speculation here about this cave. And as you read in that article we mentioned from Mark, our patron, uh, if you've read it so far, um, you'll see that a lot of speculation has existed for a few decades now, and it's kind of festered its way into a fact. You know, it's kind of become turned from speculation to just being considered what it is, and we just don't know that. Uh, anyway, they ask Gretchen if, after looking at these things, if there are any possible connections to Oak Island. And she shows them some carvings, one in particular of a crucifixion, that she says, and that they all agree, looks just like the lead cross. Honestly, guys, I, I don't know if you agree or disagree. Email me, diggingoakisland at gmail.com if you uh, agree or disagree. I see nothing in this image that convinces me that it is somehow connected to the lead cross, nothing at all. It is a crucifix. Um, it is a universal symbol in the medieval ages, for sure, or even you know in the in the you know in the later periods as well. It's a universal symbol used even today in Europe. Um, so I don't see a connection. Uh, the head tilted is something that you see in so many depictions of the crucifixion. It's certainly not only seen here and in the uh, lead cross. I had a hard time swallowing that one. Maybe you guys see something different, so let me know if you do. She then shows them uh, a brick that says 1347, and that's the same date that we find on the map of Xena Halper. Now, I'm not going to go through the Xena map thing again, but I think Marty just kind of gives us a little bit here indication of the thinking. He writes Xena's map, or he says Xena's map, if it's real. Now, and then he talks about this thing. The thing is, we don't know if it's real, and I don't really think it is. Uh, it may be a facsimile of a map. There's no way to know because we don't have the original, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I don't think 1347 uh, means having that, those two things as a connection. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's a cool note for sure that these two match, um, and I'd like to know what it's all about. But it's also important to keep in mind, this is 40 years. 1347 is 40 years after the persecution of the Knights Templar. I'm not sure they're Knights Templar in a cave in England at this point. 
Uh, I mean, we're supposed to be saying they're in Portugal at this time and re re getting together and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know. I'm not an expert. Um, what I do know is looking at the Portuguese carvings and looking at these carvings, I don't see a big thread between the two of them. Again, guys, I know you're all out there thinking about this stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong. Just seems, you know, it seems we're picking out what we want to connect to the theory that we're trying to make, <laughs> that we're trying to prove. And I just don't like that way, that method of investigating something. They then do this very complicated and convoluted connection from an image that Gretchen sees uh, of a, um, I, I forget the name of it, but it's a half female, half fish goddess. And that somehow connects to the Rochefoucauls and to the Duc d'Anville. You see all about this. No sense in explaining all that again. Um, and Duc d'Anville's journey to, the 18th, uh, to Oak Island or to Nova Scotia in the 18th century. Again, this is trying to find a connection. And we're talking about now looking at a connection on here to something that's 400 years later. So you're going to have to connect those dots a little bit better than just a symbol on the wall, especially if that symbol was a popular symbol from the Middle Ages. Uh, you're going to have to do a little bit better connecting those two things than that. Anyway, from there, I wanted to mention something that Elizabeth said on the Patreon, uh, which was a great little kind of um, discussion point here. She writes simply, I wouldn't mind information behind the carvings. Uh, and I think there's two things to say about that. Yes, I would have liked in this scene for the producers to do a little background information on some of the theories behind, as we mentioned, some of the theories behind this cave rather than just the one theory that they're presenting. Um, as she also mentions here, Elizabeth also mentions possible connections that have been presented are interesting, and they are interesting. But we have to know whether or not these carvings are genuinely Templar. And again, I'll point you back to that article. Tell me what you think, guys. Anyway, let's continue. From here, they traveled to the UK National Archives uh, just outside of London in a town called Kew, um, and they meet with a historian named Paul Stewart. Uh, he is one of these European researchers that we've heard have been hired by the Laginas. And he has what he calls a capture document or a catcher document um, from a ship that was privateering called the Lively. And it was privateering in 1746 and was captured by the Duke d'Anville. It shows that the Duke d'Anville was uh, indeed in Nova Scotia. So that is cool. Um, and there's also another one that shows Lord, uh, an admiral named Lord George Anson of the uh, British fleet uh, that he had captured a possible Duke d'Anville ship. Now, the connections here between these documents and the Duke d'Anville are real. Um, but what happens in return <laughs> or in response to these connections is a heck of a lot of theorizing and speculating that we get where we're what we're looking for here is uh, or what they're theorizing here is that Anson, this George Anson, must have been on to the idea that the Duke d'Anville had this treasure and hid it. So therefore, he was going around capturing ships. I mean, first of all, we only have evidence he captured one, and we don't know why he did. Uh, not that I could tell from this. Um, so there's no reason to think that, from what we see here, that that's what we can extrapolate. Anyway, it's really fascinating stuff. I really enjoyed all of this. 
And uh, during this, Thomas on the Patreon wrote, got to love primary source documents. And that's 100% right, Thomas. I mean, what we're looking at here finally is primary source documentation. We know what this stuff is. And we know now where Duke Donville was. And we ha- we can prove that, right? We also know that somebody captured one of his ships. That could be, hopefully, just a doorway to open us up into more research that can get us some of the answers to some of these speculations and theorizings that's going on here. But at the current time, that's all we get. Anyway, I loved it. I really did. The whole show ends with a war room video conference between the guys on Oak Island and these three still over in uh, in England. And... Um, I got to say this last 15 minutes of the show was one of those segments of the show that I get complaints about, I think, more than anything else. And that is they basically spent the last 15 minutes telling us what we just saw for the previous 45 minutes. I, 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 I could not understand why they did so much of that, right? Um, and even even to the point of showing Gary's pin again. Here we get the pin. It's in the same condition. We're showing Marty we found the pin, but we're not telling him what all this scanning and all that stuff did. And all Marty's doing, rather than giving us additional information, is telling us what we just saw him (laughs) do for the last 45 minutes. It was a disappointing end to the show. And the reason why I'm disappointed by it is because, like I said, so many people complain about the repeating that goes on in this show. And it is a valid complaint. Uh, And I'm able to ignore it usually because normally it's just a minute long little segment telling us, reminding us of what happened last week or even last year. But this was an entire segment of the show dedicated to recapping the previous 45 minutes we all just sat and watched. I don't know. Hopefully we don't do that very often, um, especially when it comes to this research. Hopefully we focus on this research. We focus on these, these new ideas and we get to the bottom of what some of these theories might actually mean and if there really is a connection to Oak Island. All right, guys, again, sorry about the rambling, sorry about the non-scripted, all that kind of stuff that you're used to. It's just that I'm trying to get this one out quicker, and I'm going to do a little bit more of this this season. Tell me what you guys think, you know, whether or not you you like these out quicker, um, because it does allow me to get these out pretty much, you know, within 48 hours, which I was really struggling to do over the last couple of years when I'm trying to script everything out. All right, don't forget, once again, you can really help out the show. Keep us on the air by going to uh, become a patron. If you think the show is worth $5 a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. If you want to make a one-time donation, you could do that. I have the, pot, the way of doing that. You go to Venmo, Dave McBride Music. If you have any questions about that, just email me, and I'll be happy to answer how you can do that. Uh, if you want to help out the show but not through a monetary um, donation, God, there's there's definitely a great way to do that, and that is by giving us a five-star rating or rating us and reviewing us on either Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Those are always great to read. Thank you so much to everyone who's done that. Maybe I should do a little reading of a few of those now and again. I really like uh, what some of them write there. Um, 
A lot of it, it just kind of makes me pat myself on the back, which I probably shouldn't do. My wife doesn't appreciate that. Anyway, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. Thank you for it. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Digging Oak Island in your search bar there. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, uh, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So you don't want me reading your stuff aloud and talking about what your ideas are you don't want to you don't want to hear them live you know hear them on the podcast for everybody else just make a note of that and i'll do my best to answer well as dave blankenship used to say it's crown time so until we speak again i'm dave mcbride thank you for listening to digging oak island